Today we get to continue our series that we started last week on Exodus. And you say, well, Pastor, I missed the first Sunday. Let me tell you what we covered. We covered what it was like to realize you are in bondage and you don't know how you got there. We realized that the nation of Israel had gone there in a passion to get away from a famine. And the vehicle of redemption was Joseph. And his family come over to be redeemed during a crisis-driven time. And then they stayed. And I wish the Bible said, and there was a big battle between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And the Israelites lost and become the Egyptian slaves. But that's not how it happened. They were talked into it. One minute at a time, one second at a time, they were convinced by others and outside sources of who their they were and what identity they possessed and their purpose was to serve the Egyptians. Now I correlated that with the power of sin and how sin, the enemy never comes and says, hey, I'd like to destroy your family. Hey, I'd like to destroy you. Hey, I'd like to addict you to drugs. Hey, I'd like you to become an alcoholic that isn't able to function and you lose your job and your character and all of those things. The enemy never really does that. You normally find yourself in bondages of sin, one step at a time, and you turn around and you ask this question, how did I get here? And we talked about the liberating power of God to break the chains of bondage. But in the midst of all of that, today we are going to cover Exodus chapter 2 through chapter 4, and we are going to get introduced to the main character of all of the book of Exodus. His name is Moses. And we have some Moseses in the house today. Some of you are Moses and you just don't know it. Some of you are Moses and you think that your time of being Moses, being used by God is over because of things that have happened, transpired, or even that you've done. See, Moses, one of the characteristics of Moses is he was born in the crisis. He was not born in the palace. He wasn't even born in another country and prepared and kept safe um, so he could go into slavery and re redeem, be the hand or the instrument of God to redeem the slaves. He was born a slave. And that's something for us to really, really understand is that sometimes you don't understand the process that God has you in and you can't understand. He may not have caused it, but he's aware of what you've gone through. He's aware of what you've lived through. He's aware of the steps that you've taken, both side steps. You know, Michelle talked about coming after the one and leaving the 90 and nine. You realize how God has rescued you? Sometimes we, we look at it, uh, ourselves in the mirror and go, I could have been something great if only this hadn't happened. No, sometimes God takes what happens and make you great anyway. Wouldn't it have been convenient for somebody that wasn't a slave to be born in a safe place where he could be developed and at the right time come in like Superman and rescue everybody? God normally doesn't call supermen like that. He calls supermen and women to be born into something that has challenged them and scarred them. And they got a few limps along the way. But by the time that they get to the, uh, the proper position to be anointed, to be used by God, they're able to turn around and say, I know what it's like to be you. I know what it's like to live where you lived. I know what it's like to be broken and crushed. I know what it's like to go through a trial. But yet God can still use us together to do something great. Can somebody? Say amen. amen. 
He was born in the, in the slave quarters. Three months, his mother was able to hide him. Now, here's just a little life tip for you if you are a new parent. I am in a family that has now been welcoming my, Mila and Riley. I almost blended their names together. And they had babies, David and Josh and their wives had babies three months apart. And they thought, both of them thought, they, their baby was crying. No, it was squeaking. <laughs> Mila's now almost six months and she's learning the art of crying. She is perfecting it. It no longer is a little squeak. Eh, eh, eh. No, it's like I'm mad and I need you to hear me and you are not responding quite quick enough. How many of you have been there as parents to realize your kids learn how to cry? At three months, Moses' mother had determined that now his cries were making it unsafe for him and the family. So the crisis of the moment of him growing up and learning how to cry and bringing noise to the household now, because Moses was born in a time where babies were supposed to be killed. So not only was he born in the slave quarters, but he was born under the regime of a Pharaoh that said every male child under the age of two shall die. And so his mother was forced by crisis to do something out of the box. She was forced to do something that required her to have faith. And she built a little basket, pitched it inside and out, and then assigned his sister to watch over it while she placed it in the Nile River. The Nile River is full of crocodiles. And now it's unsafe. You know how many times we're trying to hold on to something so desperately because we think that we're going to lose our identity or lose our position or lose our title because we're trying to hold on to something? Greatness is waiting when you have enough faith to release something into crisis-driven moments like you putting a baby in the Nile River. How many of you would agree that don't make a lot of sense? That's not safe. Say amen. amen. So the baby goes in the river and one day <laughs> the wind blows. The basket, you know, in my imagination, it's kind of like this speaker about this size. I mean, how big does a basket have to be to hold a baby? The basket moves out of the weeds. Can you imagine what it was like for his sister to watch the wind part the weeds and watch the baby float out towards open water? Then it gets in the current and the current starts taking it from a position that she no longer can rescue. And it's headed for disaster. All the circumstances seem to be putting Moses in the very place that is the most dangerous place in the world. What can you count on when you can't count on anybody else? Well, God, number one. But who on earth? Family. If there's anybody that's going to keep the laws of Pharaoh, his family should be the one that would at least keep the laws of the king, right? And the basket is headed. I want you to picture the basket on this side flowing in the current towards a person on this side. And it's the very daughter of Pharaoh. All she's going to do is open up the basket, see what's in the basket and, and tell her father what's going on. And that I dumped the baby in the Nile River like your law says. 
But sometimes what God is using doesn't look like it's the very thing that should be used. And you're gauging your circumstances and your current position based upon what you're identifying as your outward circumstances. But you don't see the invisible hand of God because every one of us would have started a revival prayer service starting to pray. If there was cell phones and text messages, Miriam would have text messaged mom and said, Moses is headed for danger. She would have text messaged the church and we would have put out a prayer chain. God stopped the current, but the current was the very thing taking him to his destiny. What looked like crisis and disaster was the very thing God was going to use. He had softened the heart of the daughter of Pharaoh. She opens up the basket. She said, she identifies it correctly. She said, this is a son of the Hebrews. But then the Bible says, and, he, and she took pity on him and took, her, took him into his house and adopted him. And he became a prince of Egypt. Now he no longer is being used in the slave quarters, but now he's being trained in the palace. Being trained in the palace has its blessings. There's luxuries of the palace and education of the palace. And I want you to understand in Acts chapter 7, I want you to understand for the next 40 years, Moses lives in the palace. This is what the Bible says in Acts 7 about Moses. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and in his deeds. Touch somebody and say mighty in words and mighty in deeds. That's going to come back. You ever noticed that when God puts you in a position where you're starting to be used, you want everybody else to see? Isn't that true? You tell everybody when you get along with God and God gives you a revelation of who you really are, like He wants you to teach or He wants you to preach or He wants you to be a witness or He wants you to help in missions, you tell everybody. You ever notice that everybody isn't excited about the call on your life as you are? Because they see you for who you are? You know, look around at CityGate. We're kind of a, you know, I'm preaching in a Batman shirt. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we could get a little bit out there. Moses thought by the position of the palace, he thought he was in a position for his brothers to see what God was doing in him and was going to do through him. But they didn't. The 25th verse of the seventh chapter of the book of Acts says this. And he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't understand. Huh. I, told people, I tell people this because somebody, some older guy told me, and I think it's some of the best wisdom that I've ever heard in my entire life when I was going into the vocational ministry. He said this, quit working yourself to death trying to create a place for your gift. Stop and let your gift open up the door for you. You're too busy trying to open up the door for your gift, but if you'll just be patient enough, your gift will open up the door for you. See, Moses thought that the palace was the vehicle for God to use him to redeem the Israelites and the slaves. But what he didn't understand is that premature engagement in a gift when you're not ready can produce pain that seemingly is caused by the very gift God has given you. Moses decides out of the palace one day just to take a walk. He sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And he decides to intervene. 
Can you imagine? All you're wanting to do is do a good thing. Let me separate the fight. Next thing he gets hit, he hits back. And the next thing you know, Egyptian's dead. Ten minutes before, he was the prince of Egypt. One fight, one altercation, one death. Now he's a fugitive. I'm going to say that again because that's just how quickly things can change in your life. One phone call, one second, one minute. All it took for the people of northwest Florida was one night of a hurricane. Ten minutes before the fight, he was the prince of Egypt. Ten minutes after the fight, he's a fugitive running away. You're talking about going from the, fi from the frying pan into the fire? He goes to a real safe place called Midian. It means strife. And you know what? He found exactly that. You would think that God would say, hey man, you just got into a fight. Now he's going to open up the door for him to fight again. At Midian, the first thing he sees around a well is seven women trying to, to water their father's sheep. They're, they're not strong and the shepherd, the men are coming in and assaulting them and moving them out of the way so they could water their sheep. Moses being Superman. He's already got a Superman complex. I'm learning I got a lot in common with Moses. <laughs> you know. And it's caused me as much strife as it did him. All of a sudden, he decides to turn Superman and he does the right thing in the right moment. And he defends the ladies and actually beats up the shepherds and allows the ladies and their sheep to come back to the well. It produces a moment. When you start doing the right thing long enough, even when it causes you conflict and pain, you do the right thing long enough and blessings will follow. He finds a wife. And that wife is able to bring him a family. All because of a fight. Isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't you, isn't that a romantic story? I just went to the well one day and my husband, my future, I didn't even know he was going to be my husband. He beat some folks up for me. I said, man, that looks like a good man to have. <laughs> Pastor, you're preaching this thing wrong. You're now telling God's using people to beat people up. Sometimes folk need to be beat up. <laughs> Amen. Just saying. I felt like beating a few people up from time to time. <laughs> and I loved them. <laughs> for the next 40 years, for the next 40 years, this man gets broken. And every single day and every single hour takes him farther away from the identity he thought was going to be the vehicle for him to redeem the slaves. Every moment, every day takes him further away from being the prince of Egypt in the palace. And by the time he gets 80 years old, he is so broken and messed up that God says, you're finally at the place I can use you. Remember what I told you to touch your neighbor and say? I, touch, I told you to touch your neighbor and say what? He was mighty in what? Mighty in words and mighty in deeds. By the time you meet him at 80, he's stuttering. You talking about being broken? Where a man that was so accomplished that the Bible says that he could have been on the debate team. And by the time you meet him at 80, he can't even form a sentence. He's so far away from his former identity. He used to be the prince of Egypt with power and authority. Now he's walking around finding a few sheep on a mountain on the backside of the desert, according to Scripture. 
But what he did not understand is he thought that the education he got in the palace was what was needed to be the redeemer. But the education he got in the desert, learning how to walk through the desert and and traverse mountains and walk through and find out where watering holes were for a few sheep was going to allow God to say, that's the knowledge you needed because I'm fixing to give you a million people and you're going to walk through the same place. But here's one of the things you've got to understand. You may feel like you're a million miles away broken and that your ministry is through and God could never use you because of either what you've done or what you've lived through. But he's the very God that knew where you were going to be at the very time you got there. He was already waiting on you in your future and knew that before he called you. I got people all the time telling me, I just wish this wouldn't have happened. God could have used me. He can use you through it. Here's this dude, man. He's so broken. He can't even talk. He feels so distant from his calling and his anointing. And it is at this very moment that God decides to show up. We know this is the burning bush moment. I got a few more minutes to preach. This dude, 80 years old, thinking my time has passed, walking, sees a tree catch fire. Here's the good news of the gospel today. I don't care how far you've gone, who you've gone there with, and how many times you've done it. You know how close you are to your destiny. You know how close you are to recovery. You know how close you are to being truly set free. One God encounter. Well, pastor, I've got to go through 15 classes. No, you get to one burning bush and it'll change the things that get you ready for 15 classes. He just, Bush catches on fire and the dude decides, I got to go see what's going on. And the moment he decides to get off of a beaten path and try something else. Now, we had some tragedy happen this week. And I'm going to sum this up for all of you that have struggled with chains of addiction and other things. You have been duped. You have been deceived. You are not having fun. You're just not. Talked to a brother not long ago. This brother made $50 an hour. He, 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 he had a solid career. $50 an hour and married, had a house paid for. And this dude allowed sin to start coming into his life and that sin started to dissolve all the things that he thought was important. This dude went from making $50 an hour to when I talked to him, he was homeless, had two duffel bags. And I said, brother, I don't know about you. I can't get your marriage back, but I sure can get your life back. Why don't we start getting your life back right now by us having a God encounter and us taking that God encounter to the next place? He said, pastor, I'm just trying to have a little fun. Now, there are some people I can just get real with. On Sunday, you see gracious Pastor Dave. On Tuesday, you come to my office and I'll be gracious Pastor Dave until we get in the area of a comment like that. And then you see the truth, Pastor Dave. I said, brother, let me tell you the truth. You've lost everything. 
You have been deceived by your addictions and the things that are changed you to the bondages of sin. You've lost every ounce of life that you used to have and you're telling me that now you have lived uh, three to four weeks on the street with two, your belongings fit in two duffel bags. Brother or sister, if you are here and you are homeless today and that's all you have, I am not being critical of that. But if that's all you want, me and you need to talk. I said, what's fun about you having all of this and now you got this? Tell me what's fun. He said, well, Pastor, you tell the truth. That, 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 that makes me see it from a different side. Yeah, it's the true side where deception is revealed. And all you need is one God moment. You're not too broken. Pastor, the one thing about this burning bush is that the next whole chapter is about Moses telling God why he can't do something. You can do it if God is there. He's the one that is calling you out of a bush. And the moment that Moses started moving towards the encounter, God started talking. You know, it's the first time God speaks to Moses out loud and he calls him by name. All he had to do is take a step off the path he was on and say, I'm going to do something different. And the minute he took one step, God said, Moses, Moses, I know who you are. And I have set this encounter up for you. I wonder how many people will be willing to get off the path that they're on. Some people like their, their pain. It's become their friend. And so instead of getting delivered from the pain, they've associated with the pain so long it's become their identity. Ooh, I just got to just make a move. That's lesson number one. Make a move. I'm going to do it. Alex, you're here. You've caught, taught me into it. I just looked over there and you were like, yeah, Pastor, I believe in you. I believe in you. So many people got their identity card. This is me. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. I've been done wrong. Guess what? We all got one. There's nobody in this place ain't gone through something. But if you truly want to meet a God that is beyond your crisis and your pain and get you through something you never thought you could get through, the first thing you're going to have to do is get off the path that you're on and quit grabbing the card and throw the card away and say, God, I'm here to hear who you say I am. The second thing that they had to do is I put down God can qualify. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit living in you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God wraps the supernatural characteristics of who he is in the natural characteristics of who you are. Nothing supernatural about the tree. It's just a bush. But it's out of supernatural fire that won't consume it. All God wants you to do is be a bush that he can consume with his supernatural ability. And his, you know, we try to qualify ourselves with I'm nothing but a humble bush. Let him burn in you and through you. Because you may touch a Moses along the way. God can qualify. Here's the third lesson we can learn. Take your shoes off. Some people have gotten this new gospel. I, I, I'm going to get a little critical of the modern church. We got this new gospel that God loves everybody. And he does. And will take you just like you are. 
but you think it's his privilege to have you. Ooh, that's good stuff. I wish I could remember what I just said. <laughs> you think it's a privilege for God to have you when you should realize it's a privilege for you to have him. You never deserved him and you could never earn him. And you can't manipulate him and you can't convince him that you're the best thing since sliced bread. But if you'll ever flip the script and say, God, I don't deserve you. You shouldn't even walk with a person like me, but you are who you are. And I am the one that will submit my entire life to you. And it is my privilege to walk with you, not you walking with me. Because of self-will, we've gotten this thing messed up. Because, well, pastor, I have to choose God now. I got to make the decision. You do. But you act like you're in control. If he, yes. wouldn't, if he wouldn't have drawn you, you wouldn't have known him. Woo-hoo. I thought I was the one, Pastor, making the kingdom of heaven. Something's great. No, he's the one that was great before you and I ever showed up. And he'll be great tomorrow and the day after and the day after. But he can be great in us. Sometimes you've got to humble yourself to know who you're talking to. And we just run up to God like he's Walmart. Like he's uh, 1-800-TELL-ME-WHAT-YOU-WANT. Let me run to the altar. God, give me a... God, give me the six numbers that they're going to call out Saturday night so I can be a millionaire. And I'll promise I'll help people. And, you know, will you just change... God, please change my husband. God, please change my wife. God, please change this. God, will you please change the mind of my boss? God, will you please give me a better job? I'd like to make about $100 an hour. God, please. And then they stand on Scripture. That's what bugs the daylights out of me. God says, ask for the desires of your heart. No, the Bible says, submit unto Him. And then ask what you will, and it shall be given unto you. It says, let's put the kingdom of heaven first, and everything shall be added to you after that. Hey, that's preaching right there. Because if I can get it right and say, I'm not coming to the Walmart in the sky. I'm coming to a God of grace that forgave me when I was unforgivable, touched me when I was untouchable, and loved me when I was unlovable. And He took it in me and placed the power of the Holy Spirit in me. Who am I to touch that is untouchable? Who am I to love that is unlovable? You just thought He was a free pass to heaven. No, He wants you to take your shoes off and honor who He really is. And somebody has all, we've already said it, but I don't know how many of us really mean it. If God didn't do one more thing for me, He is worthy of my praise for the rest of my life. Well, sometimes your song gets a little shorter and a little more quiet when you're walking through something. Like you're going to negotiate with God. I'm going through something. You shouldn't allow it. I'm going to hold back my praise. Let me be the one to remind you. There's 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 angels declaring His glory right now. But He will stop heaven when His people start to worship. When, when the people today assemble in the Alpha Church of God with no electricity, no running water, and no power. When they open up their mouth and say, Blessed be the name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is worthy to be praised. He, my house may be gone. My land may be gone. But I have a fellowship with a God that will never leave me nor forsake me. And He is worthy of my praise. That's when heaven stops. God wants you to participate. 
God heard the cry of the oppressed and he wanted Moses to make a difference. And last but not least, oh man, I've preached hard all day today. Here's some good gospel news. Please quit sweating the desert. What do you mean, pastor? You think if you're in a wilderness and you're going through a struggle, it's coming from the devil. Sometimes in the heat of the desert, when you don't think you can be found by anybody, the Bible says he was on the backside of the desert when this whole event happened, that God can take somebody on the backside of the desert and tell them there's coming a time where you're going to come back on this in this desert to this mountain and you're going to worship me with my people. I'm going to give you the tabernacle. I'm going to give you the law and I'm going to show you what God is really like in the desert. Some of you are praying to get out. Why don't you pray to stay long enough to get strengthened to go get somebody else out? Amen. We've got all the way to this. Don't sweat the desert. I've spent too much time and energy complaining about my current circumstances that I couldn't do anything about instead of learning how to live contently in them like Paul. It's easier said than done, I promise you. But Tom, will you put up that, will one of you guys put up that picture? Here's where the whole message comes to fruition. If the burning bush only exists in the book of Exodus, and it was only for a man named Moses, then you will think that this is nothing more than a glorified Bible story that made you feel good, and you'll walk back out and get in your car and live the same way. But if you can ever be convinced today that there's a burning bush moment for you right now, that God may call your name the moment you step out of your seat, that He may start directing and and the trajectory of your life to a place that you never dreamed of, that you thought was past you or, or too far gone, and all of a sudden God now says, now's the time. I don't need more people just to come up forward so I can tell my pastor friends how many people come forward. I'm past all that. I'm 50, almost 51 years old. And you know what? I may never pastor the biggest church in town. That's okay. I pastor you and that's exactly where God wants me. I don't want you to come forward because I want to count you. I want you to come forward because there may be a burning bush for you. What's next? Well, pastor, I can't because. Moses stuttered and thought that he was law, all causes were lost because he wasn't the prince of Egypt anymore. Well, pastor, I've gone through this and I haven't survived that. Maybe it's part of your testimony. I'm just wondering what you're going to do with a burning bush moment. Let's stand. I'm going to ask for our ministry team to come forward. What in life has broken you? Unrealized dreams? Hopes that you thought would never happen? Maybe pain has made you convinced you're unqualified. Maybe you feel like you've gone from the firing pan into the fire. 
Maybe you felt like you've been robbed of an identity and you thought that identity was the very thing that God was going to use. It was who you are. No, God can use what you have left. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I'm really not going to try to sell this thing to you. I'm going to try to just give you an invitation. This burning bush moment in the story of of Exodus changed Moses' life forever. What if this moment was to change your life forever from right now? Father, here we are standing in our burning bush moment individually and corporately. Here we are prepared to see freedom in a new way. I remember you reaching, if there was anybody that was unqualified, it was me. Who would reach in the debauchery of where I lived and choose a man doing the things that I was doing? How I felt like the call was so far away from me. And that I had unqualified myself to such a distance that I could never be used again. But yet here I stand today because of one burning bush moment on Panama City Beach. And Father, there's people here right now that this, on this day in October of 2018, will be the day that everything changes. It's their burning bush. So Father, in just a moment, I ask you right now to relieve everyone from the anxiety of what other people think. And I ask for you to give their heart courage and not fear. I ask for you to call the saint and the sinner alike. That if they need to get saved, they're going to come out of their seat. If they're already saved but yet need to have an encounter with you, they're going to get out of their seats. So Father, right now, we surrender everything from this moment forward over to you. And I give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name.